sons of Benjamin from the midst of Jerusalem. Now blow a trumpet in Tekoa and raise a signal over Beth, Beth Hasarim. For evil looks down from the north and a great destruction. The comely and the dainty, the daughter of Zion, I will cut off. Shepherds and their flocks will come to her. They will pitch their tents around her. They will pasture each in his place. Prepare war against her. Arise and let us attack at noon. Woe to us, for the day declines, for the shadows of the evening lengthen. Arise and let us attack by night and destroy her palaces. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Cut down her trees and cast up a siege against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished, in whose midst there is only oppression. As a well keeps its, keeps its waters fresh, so she keeps fresh her wickedness. Violence and destruction are heard in her. Sickness and wounds are ever before me. Be warned, O Jerusalem, for I shall be alienated from you, and make you a desolation, a land not inhabited. So what's he encouraging the people to do? Jerusalem. That's a bit of an unusual um, order. It would be more normal to say what? To flee to Jerusalem. It was God's city and it was a walled city that would be like a fortress for defense. Apparently the walled cities were not going to be any refuge. You know, uh, better flee away from them. And notice, uh, you know, you've got the trumpet and the fire signal even in the far south. Now the enemy would come out of the north, he says that uh, in the uh, end of verse 1, because the enemy in Jeremiah's day was what nation? Babylon. If you looked at a globe, Babylon is mostly east of Jerusalem. But in between Babylon and Jerusalem is a big desert. Can't go across it. Not in their day anyway. So they would come up around the Fertile Crescent, around the Euphrates River, and come down into that area from the north. Now, if you're sounding the alarm in Tekoa, which is almost the farthest southern city in Judah, that's not a good thing. You know, if Japan invades us, and uh, the trumpets being sounded in Boston, things are getting bad. <laughs> you know, it means they've already conquered the West and the Rockies and the farmlands of the Midwest and they're already into the East. You don't want that. You know, if Canada invades and uh, the fire signals are down in Miami, <laughs> we're already, uh, you know, past history. So that's what he's showing. That's, that's, he's trying to get them to see the, uh, you know, virgin nature of this destruction, the unrelenting advance of this enemy against who? Verse 2? Zion, Jerusalem, God's people, what does he call them? Do you see what that's uh, saying about them? How are they going to take this? Yeah, they're not, this is going to be really tough. You know, if you think of somebody who's dainty, you know, what do you think of? They're not very tough. That'd be my word. 
She's not used to dealing with de deprivation and destruction and demolition. You know, uh, a dainty person is going to really suffer when she's exposed to this destruction coming down from the north. And so then he pictures, I think, the Babylonian army. And he pictures them as what, verse 3? Shepherds and their flocks. Now, if you, you know, think about a shepherd with his flock. Let's say a shepherd leads his flock to a particular area. What's he expecting the flock to do in that area? Graze. Graze. Eat up the grass. Well, that's what we're seeing. The Babylonian flock has been led down to Jerusalem to, uh, to wipe the meadows clean. You know, to devour that area. Uh, that, that's a really graphic figure, you know, in, in that sense, if you see what he's saying. And then we actually get to go into the commander's tent and overhear the strategy session. You know, prepare war against her. Arise and let us attack when? At noon. Would that be the more common time for an attack? When would you expect the attack? At night when they can't see or maybe even in the early morning when they've got all day to do it. To attack at noon would be very unusual. But they're confident. They don't want to wait for nightfall or daybreak. They, they're sure they can conquer and they can't wait. Let's attack right now. Let's attack at noon. And, uh, you know, they're pressing that attack. You know, the God's people woe to us for it's getting dark and the, the, the battle is going against them. And they say, verse 5, the enemy arise and let us attack by night. They started at noon and they're finishing them off that night. Uh, this is not a good thing. The Lord says, well that'll help. We got the Lord coming into this thing, verse 6. The Lord says, cut down her trees and cast up a seas against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. <laughs> You know, so the Lord, believe it or not, is the commander-in-chief giving orders to the enemy as to how to destroy his city. Isn't that uh, frightening? It's not a good thing when the Lord is on the enemy's side. But because of the wickedness of Jerusalem, that's exactly where the Lord was. Thoughts as we go through this? You see why in verse 7 he talks about um, like a well. I don't know that we uh, have as much experiences with wells. How many of you are on a well as opposed to city water? Wow, two or three people. Here it is, but it's, it's very unusual. Um, well, do you know how a well operates? You know, you got this great big hole down in the ground shaft, and there's some kind of underground water that feed the well. And you got a pump down in the well. So it pumps out the water when you need it. So like you take a shower, and the pump is taking water out of the well. Now, there's a difference between a well and like a cistern. A cistern has like a definitive quantity of water, you take out a gallon, you're a gallon lower in the cistern. But what if you pump a bunch of water out of a well, what happens? 
Nothing really, because that underground water keeps refeeding it, and so the supply is constant. Now, if you've got a good well, you can pump a ton of water out of it, and you'll look down at the water level, same place. Because <laughs> that underground water supply just keeps you know, keeping the water at the same level. So that's really cool for a well. It means you've got a lot of water to use. Not so good when it's wickedness that's being portrayed as this well, because his point is that evil just perpetually renews itself. No matter how much evil they commit, they've still got the same quantity of supply to do. So, in the end of verse 6, in whose midst there's only oppression, as a well keeps its waters fresh, so she keeps fresh her wickedness. You know, she's just got an endless supply. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you'd almost hope, we say sometimes, particularly maybe with a young person, they need to get their meanness out of them. <laughs> and the, the thought behind that, I guess, is, well, if you commit so many mean acts, that's all you'll have. You'll exhaust your supply, and then you'll be nice. I'm not sure that really works, even with young people. But, but it really doesn't work with Jerusalem. You know, you can't say, well, let's just work the wickedness out of them. Let them commit all the wickedness they want, and that'll, that'll end, and then it'll be good. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't usually work that way. You know, you ever thought that way? You ever thought, man, you know, I might as well go ahead and commit this sin, and then I'll just get it out of my system, and then, then like, you know, it'll be over, and I'll be good after that. How well does that work? Not very well at all. Doing wrong things, does that get it out of your system? That more or less ingrains it into your system. The only good way to not sin is to not sin. You know, trying to use the strategy, well, I'll not sin by sinning. You know, only the devil could have come up with that. That is a very lying uh, scenario. It's amazing sometimes what Satan gets us to believe. You know, because it's like no rational person would ever think that way. But Satan will actually get you. I've I played that game before. I, I thought that. You know, well, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about it. I want to do the wrong thing. I might as well go ahead and do it. And that way I won't want to anymore. Unfortunately, it just does not work that way. You know, evil has an endless tendency to replenish itself. So be warned of Jerusalem. I'm going to make you a desolation, a nation not inhabited. You know, God is, uh, God is going to destroy them. Thoughts and comments on this? Jeremiah really makes you think about some of these things with those figures. And that's one of the things about the prophets. They use a lot of things that make you think, a lot of pictures. You know, the next time you're tempted to commit a sin thinking, well, then that'll get it over with. Remember the well. <laughs> it just keeps restocking. It won't get anything over with. It won't ever get anything out of your system. It's just put it in there. All right. 9 to 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they will thoroughly glean as the vine the remnant of Israel. Pass your hand again like a grapevine over the branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. 
they have no delight in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary with holding it in. Pour it out on the children of the street and on the gathering of young men together. For both husband and wife shall be taken, the aged and the very old. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone has used for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. So, God is going to treat his people like a gleaner. We don't use that word much. What does it mean to glean? To gather. And usually the gleaning is gathering when? After the harvest. Yeah. Like, you go through and you reap the harvest. But like, I, I, you know, many of you don't have farm experience. I usually relate stuff to when I was on the farm. We had a small farm, 20, 15 or 20 acres, but uh, we raised a lot of sweet corn. And we raised it in stages like that and would plant every couple weeks throughout the spring. And so we'd have, you know, a section coming on. And, and we'd, we'd pick it when, when, when it was ready. But you know, corn, you, you pick most of the ears, but there's always a few ears. We'd feel off them, and we could tell if it was mature or not. So there'd be a few ears that we wouldn't pick. They weren't ready yet. They weren't ripe yet. And a lot of times, we just leave them. Because by the time we got done picking that section, there'd be the next section ready. We didn't need to go back through. But sometimes, we didn't have the next section, we'd say, on yet, ready to be picked. So we'd go back through and glean. We'd go back through and we'd get some of those ears. Sometimes even we just overlooked the first time. And a lot of times they weren't quite mature yet, yet the first time. You could go through and get them again. You could do the same thing with other things. You ever pick grapes? Have you ever picked grapes? Nobody? Wow. Some people? Okay. You know, do you always get all the grapes the first time? Sometimes because they're not ripe, but why else might you not get all the grapes? You don't always see them. You know, grapes hide themselves pretty well behind the leaves and different things. Or why else might not you get them? You don't need them, yeah. Or sometimes they're hard to reach. You know, if the grapevine's tall or whatever, maybe it's not be worth it. But if you came back through it and reaped it again, you could find some more. Well, that's the idea of what God's doing here. He's not just wiping them out. He's going back through and gleaning. Really a great illustration of what Babylon did as they came through repeatedly deporting more of the nation. You know, I've just been studying at the end of 2 Kings, and um, when Jehoiachin and Ezekiel were taken into captivity, it says that the Babylonians just left the poor people in the land. And then 11 years later, Babylon came in again uh, with, when, at the end of Zedekiah's reign, 
and they took a bunch of people into captivity and said they just left the poorest people in the land. You know, they gleaned. You know, they came through again, they got a bunch more, and I guess the people being left in the land each time were even poorer, you know, than the, the larger group before. So that's what God's saying. He's just going to go and he's going to pass over again. And uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty shocking. That's pretty uh, horrifying. You know, he's going to leave a few the first time, but he'll be back. He'll be back again. Comments on that idea? Jeremiah is frustrated. Oh, God. You know, who can he tell this to? What's the problem? No listen. <laughs> There's nobody that, that, that listens. they got ears, but they've closed them. So nobody hears him. Wouldn't that be kind of frustrating? Talk to people who won't listen. Maybe you've had that experience before. You know, if you ever tried to talk to a younger sibling, they wouldn't listen to you. Of course, that might be your problem too. But anyhow, uh, the word of God's become a reproach to them. They have no delight. In it. They don't want to listen. They don't like hearing God. That's not a good thing when we don't want to hear the Lord. Uh, so what is God going to do? Well, Jeremiah said, I'm, I'm full of wrath of God. I'm weary of holding it in. And God said to pour it out on who? Everybody. Everybody. Including groups you might not expect him to. Like the young. They're more innocent and vulnerable. Like the aged and very old that God might take special care of pretty much from one end to the other. He's going to send them all away. You know, and, and why would God be so uh, upset as to destroy all classes? Well, verse 13, for from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy of gain. You wipe them all out because they're all sinful. You know, and, and, and the attitude of these people, they're all greedy. What's a greedy person's main goal? For himself. Yeah. They're all selfish. They're all seeking this. Even the religious, lead, the religious leaders, from the prophet even to the priest, they're all a bunch of liars. You know, they're all trying to get what they can for themselves with dishonesty, bribery, false weights, manipulating the system. And the, the religious leaders, they heal the brokenness of my evil superficially, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. In other words, they kept telling people what they wanted to hear. It's sad when the religious leaders are major players in the breakdown of the righteousness in the nation. They were constantly reassuring the people everything's okay. Everything's fine. You're good. God loves you. You have nothing to worry about. They told people what they wanted to hear. What's the advantage for a religious teacher when he tells people everything's okay? He goes, I follow they like him, he gets a following, and usually if he gets a following, he gets something else he really wants, which is? Yeah, more donations. You know, the temple revenue that they had their hand in was their number one aim. 
So if you say things that condone wicked conduct, wicked people will pay you for it, one way or the other. If you say things that people don't want to hear, the salary dries up. So they healed the brokenness of my people superficially. You know, you're, uh, you're having some real health issues, and what you really need is open heart surgery, and what the doctor prescribes is bandage. Does that make a lot of sense? You know, they, the people had a much deeper, more serious issue. But they would just say nice things to make the people feel better and think that they dealt with the problem. That's the religious leaders. Like a doctor who reassures the patient while he's not doing anything to really fix the true problem. Were they ashamed? No, they didn't even know how to blush. Sin was so much ingrained in them, it had become almost second nature. It didn't even embarrass them anymore. There is one good thing about a hypocrite. Normally you would not think of hypocrisy as being such a good thing, would you? You know, a hypocrite kind of trying to cover up his sins, trying to make himself look better. What's the good thing about a hypocrite? Yeah, exactly. He still is ashamed of what he does wrong. He's still trying to hide it. Man, when you don't even feel any shame, when you don't even care if you hide it or not, that's even really a more hardened attitude. You know, when you can just parade your sins in front of everybody, it doesn't even bother you. I don't care who knows. I'm proud of it. Whoa. That's really hard. It's not that we ought to be hypocritical, but it's that the hardness of just flagrantly flaunting our wickedness shows a further depth of degradation. That's where these people were at. Is it any wonder God decided to punish Jerusalem? Comments and thoughts? What do you, what's the difference between aged and very old? There's not. Okay. Yeah. A lot of times he will use synonyms just to emphasize the point. So I don't think there is a... Other thoughts? 22 to 26. Thus says the Lord, Behold, the people is coming from the Northland, and a great nation will be aroused from the remote parts of the earth. They seize bow and spear, they are cruel and have no mercy. Uh, their voice roars like the sea in the light of You're reading what he said, but that's not where we should Oh, my bad. All right, all right. What did I do? What did I say? 26. 26. 26. 26. 26. 26. Sorry about that. 1621. I'm wrong. Sorry. All right. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it also. For what purpose does Frank, uh, frankincense come to me from Sheba, 
and the sweet cane from a distant land. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am laying a stumbling block, I am laying stumbling blocks before this people, and they will stumble against them. Father and son together, fathers and sons together, neighbor and friends will perish. neighbor and friend will perish. Okay. So what did they need to do? What did they need to look for? The ancient paths. Which were what paths? Yeah. The righteous ways God had revealed through Moses in the law, that's where they'd find rest. They needed to go back to what God had revealed, to what righteous people did originally. Instead of these new directions they were going, that led to disaster. But when Jeremiah and others showed them the old paths of righteousness, what did they say about those ways? We will not walk in them. We will not walk in them. They refused to do what God said. They were determined to go their own way. What is the problem with going our own way? It's the wrong way. What makes it the wrong way? Besides the fact it's not God's way, what is the real thing you worry about if you're going the wrong way? You don't know where you're going. Yeah, that's the problem, the destination. You know, you go the wrong way, it leads you to where you don't want to be. So you don't go God's way, you go your way. God's way leads to life, your way doesn't. And so that was their problem. They were bound to determine not to go God's way, but the destiny of their own way was terrible. God had set watchmen like the prophets, warning them with the trumpet, and they said, we will not listen. They are pretty ordinary, aren't they? You know, God shows them the way, we won't walk in it. God gives them the warning, they won't listen. They do not want God's way. So God said, well, listen anyway. You know, because I'm going to bring a disaster. They haven't listened to my words. They've rejected my law. They are going to face disaster. Now, you know what people do when they go away from God's way of life? Do they always become irreligious when they start living wrong? Well, sometimes they do just the opposite. They become super religious. These people were, were offering to God frankincense that came all the way from Sheba. They would import the frankincense to have the best quality offerings they could to God. They brought their sweet cane from a distant land. But he says your burnt offerings and sacrifices aren't acceptable. You know, I won't, I won't be pleased with them. God is much more interested in the quality of our heart and in our behavior than in how expensive the materials are for the sacrifice. You know, we salve our conscience because we've done such great, you know, we've gone out of our way to do such religious things. You ever done that before? You ever been really not doing well in your life? But almost going beyond what's reasonable in, in 
doing things for God. I, I know people who will say things like, uh, I don't know what, why I, I fell into sin. I did my Bible reading. As if doing your Bible reading keeps you from sinning if you want to. <laughs> you know, but sometimes you do your Bible reading. Well, I'm okay. I did my Bible reading. You know, or maybe you go to worship service. I, I never missed a service. Well, that's great. How did you live? Well, not so well, but I didn't miss a service. You know, or people pay money. I've known wicked people. You know, really bad people who will try to give money to the church or to good causes or whatever, even a lot, I think, because it makes them feel better about themselves. Well, God sees through that. If they're trying to sort of buy the Lord off with burnt offerings and sacrifices, God, that's not going to change anything. God is going to cause them to stumble. He's going to cause them to perish. You can't just offer more worship to make up for your sinful life. That's the point. Thoughts and comments? Now 22 to 26. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people cometh from the north country. A great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea, and they ride upon horses, set in array as men for war against the O daughter of Zion. We have heard the fame thereof. Our hands wax feeble. Anguish hath taken hold of us. Pain as of a woman in travail. Go on forth into the field, nor walk by the nor walk by the way, for the sword of the enemy and fear is set on every side. O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth, wallow thyself in ashes, make thee mourn for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. So what's he warning about again? The nation from the north. And how is that nation? Great, ancient, cruel, merciless, merciless. well-equipped, you really don't want to face that nation. You know, you really see them described in terms that are terrifying. And what was the reaction to the report in verse 24? Great anguish. Yeah, anguish. Well, he's almost describing what? Your hands go limp because you are terrified, panic-stricken. It's overwhelming. You know, so don't go near, don't go into the field, don't walk on the road. The enemy's got the sword. There's terror on every side. That was a favorite expression of Jeremiah's. Terror on every side. He used that a few times. Uh, it's like, everywhere. The enemy's there. It's terror. You can't go anywhere. The enemy's going to destroy you. Uh, and people are lamenting. God is basically saying in verse 26, you might as well start the mourning process already. You know, because it's over. You know, it's grief. It's anguish. You know, it's like the, a death. Suddenly, the destroyer will come upon us. Is there any doubt about what's going to happen to Jerusalem? 
You know, Jeremiah is awfully clear about that. Still, the people won't listen. But he certainly has given them fair warning. Comments and thoughts? No wonder they didn't like Jeremiah. That's exactly right. He is not telling them what they wanted to hear. People sometimes don't like people who today who tell them what they don't want to hear. Cameron? Um, verses 18 and 19, he says, Therefore hear, know, hear. He keeps on using that word hear. Um, verse 24, we have heard. They're not hearing now when he's telling them to hear, but they're going to hear when they're coming. Good point. Because like now um, we're told every knee shall bow before Christ. Why not do it now? Well, it's an honor and praise of them when we're on his side. And then in the end, we're going to bow before him. Voluntary hearing is a lot better than uh, forced hearing, isn't it? Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? <clears throat> yeah. When Jeremiah is prophesying it to them, they don't want to accept it. Like he was talking about the hearing thing. The separation is that when they finally see, hear reports just from you know somebody who's sharing and sin with them that there's an army coming, then they become scared. But when Jeremiah, you know, ahead of time warned them, they didn't want to have any part to do with it, and they didn't accept it. Yeah. Just like in life, you know, when you're in sin and you never see any negative consequences of it, you're like, oh no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then the second you begin to see punishment welling up in your life. Then you want to repent and roll into sackcloth and mourn. Absolutely. Who doesn't regret their sin once the consequences set in? The key is to regret it when we do it and to change before the consequences come. Other thoughts? All right, let's take a break and uh, for a few minutes, and then we'll uh, continue working through Jeremiah.